Hello and welcome back to No More Mondays, the podcast where two indie hackers, James McKinvin and Dan Rowden, talk about building their indie businesses. Today we are joined by our very first guest on the show. Brett Williams runs DesignJoy, a one-man productized service that is doing over 130k MRR. Dan and I first give you our regular updates, but then we catch up with Brett to ask him how he built such an impressive business, some tips on creating a compelling productized service, and if Brett should maybe look to scale things back from the size he's at. Let us know what you think of this interview episode on Twitter at No More Mondays FM or hit the link in the show notes. And a big thank you to today's sponsor, Talk to Stefan, which you'll find out more about in this episode. Let's get started. Hey, dude. How you doing? What have you been up to this week? I've done a lot of coding and designing. And then, yeah, my knee has been hurting for a bit. I finally had an MRI recently and turns out I tore my ACL. Shit. So that's fun. It's never going to heal again. Do you know how you did it? <laughs> yeah, I was playing football in October. I don't know what happened. I can't remember because it was so long ago. Because but... like, when you hear footballers get all doing their ACL, they're out for, well, it's a season-ending injury, they're yeah. out for six to eight months. Right. But they, they get like <laughs> surgery and heal from it. Can you not? So you can do reconstructive surgery where they take a tendon or a ligament from somewhere else and basically make it again within your knee yeah. but that doesn't sound too fun because it can take six months before you can do sport again and it just doesn't seem essential because I can walk I can do stuff it just, just feels weak and hurts a little bit but yeah that's how good my week's been going man that sucks but Dan I wanted to just touch on the tweet you put out just after we recorded the last episode which was mm-hmm. about focusing on one thing yeah. versus doing multiple projects yeah and we got a lot of very definitive answers where <laughs> people were saying what is exactly right and what is exactly wrong some people were slightly more nuanced my favorite response was daniel Vasalo, who talks a lot about having a portfolio of small bets we spoke about him on the episode his response was surprisingly balanced i thought it was going to be more obviously you can do multiple things he said easy what you probably want is not to go out of business i.e not to run out of time money motivation patience energy which option is most conducive to that so with that question what would you rather do focus on one thing or do multiple things right i also don't want to go out of business and right now i'm in business so i guess I could just keep doing the same thing. Obviously, I have goals yeah. and stuff that I'd want to reach that I'm not quite hitting. And, like, progress is slow. It's helpful seeing other people's responses and, like, their feedback, but it doesn't really help me, uh, like, figure out what the best way is. Well, I, I still stand by if you want growth and you want to get to those big MRR numbers that people get to, then one thing is going to get you there quicker. Have you got the niche slapping fallacy? The Alex Ormezi <laughs> thing up? No, I don't have Do you it. Do want me to read it? Have you got it? I know go, you can go. read it. He said, the fallacy that is if I pursue all of them, ideas, one of them will work out, which is a fallacy. It's false. In reality, all of them could have worked out, but none of them will work out if you pursue them all. Fucking pick. So he's very, you have to have one thing, which is also interesting because he's obviously like done a lot and makes a ton of money and it's a big success and he's yeah he used to have a portfolio of stuff and focused on one and then kind of got much more out of that yeah the trouble with picking one thing is that you might pick the wrong thing i think that's the thing i'm most scared of now i have a selection Mm. of things to choose from it's not like i'm starting from zero and i'm thinking about creating five things or creating just one thing yes i've got a number of things and yeah it's hard to know which one's the actual one you're reading his book at the moment right 100 million i finished it yeah yeah was it good yeah it's very good 
I, I like how transparent and open he is on his YouTube channel. I've had that book recommended to me before, but I don't plan on focusing on any one thing anytime soon. Mm. Yeah. I like having the variety. I'm not worried about taking anything to the moon. What are you working on this week? Not a lot in my notebook. I have three things, three freelance client work things and nothing for my projects yet, which looks good. I actually have to finish a another theme, which will be a changelog theme I'm doing for Ghost, which will be cool. That's almost finished. And writing some stuff. I want to get some Illo blog posts out. And I've also started redesigning the Illo homepage, which is exciting because I haven't touched that for a long time. I do love a good landing mm-hmm. page. What about you? So uh, actually this week today, I just published an episode of Indie Bites after two weeks because of being away. Did it with a fellow called Chase Sampat. Already listened to it when I was running earlier. Oh, mate. I get a ding. Super fan Dan. What did you think of his story? Interesting, right? Yeah, it's crazy. A, a young guy who now works at a top oh, tech company. But and in the meantime, he's created a profitable company. Yeah, crazy. Thank you for listening to it. So I did that. I spent about an hour editing this morning on my YouTube video. And Dan, I, I'm trying to perfect it. And I'm getting frustrated at myself because I meant to do one a week. And this one, I, I pretty much had, I had the base edit of it done before I recorded the last one that I published. So I, I really want to publish it. Yeah, done is better than perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I will upload that. And then next week, ooh, I still need to earn some money. We only spoke on Monday. I haven't earned any money since then. I had to take money out of the kitty, didn't I? So I could have beers. (laughs) The most important thing. (laughs) But like, bills are coming out tomorrow. And so so I've I've been having a few conversations with people, but usually I've been able to make money quite quickly. This time around, I haven't. (laughs) So yeah, I I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month or, or tomorrow push pod panda on twitter yeah i so the very first episode we did i said i was gonna update the payment pages so people yeah. can actually find out what they're getting yeah. i've basically written them all but i've not done okay. them why do it <laughs> <laughs> you're you're so 100 right why is because i'm worried that it's not good enough the barrier stopping me from pressing publish and, and telling people we'll try it and see what happens if it sucks it sucks but it won't I know it won't. Okay. You, <laughs> you're going to get clients from that thing. Yeah. Well, those those are the two things I'm going to do. <laughs> or, or next time we speak, will have been done. And then also another episode of, of Indie Bites will be out because I want to get back to two episodes a week on that. So Dan, today we have our first guest on the podcast, Mr. Brett Williams from Design Joy. Talk again about how you ended up coming across Brett. Well, I've seen Design Joy for the last few years on most of indie hackers I think when Brett's been writing about his work and then yeah I recently saw they got to 90k MRR which I thought was crazy so I tweeted about it yeah then we got talking Brett's come on to Twitter since then which has been cool to see and now we're here on the podcast welcome Brett thank you thank you for having me but before we get into this interview just quickly got to do a sponsor slot have you ever done coaching founder coaching or and like coaching in any part of your life um no no. Oh my God. You've got to try it. And my friend Stefan runs something called Talk to Stefan and he does these free 60 minute sessions. And he's actually the sponsor of today's episode. I, I find coaching quite useful because we do coaching for other parts of our life. I said to Dan, I do coaching for tennis, for golf. Doesn't have any huge impact on my life, but I enjoy having coaches to help me get better. But I don't have anyone to help me get better at my business or anything like that. 
And so Talk Stefan does coaching for founders predominantly, lots of clients at indie hackers and bootstrappers. And it's great for when you're feeling stuck, not sure what direction you want to go, feeling overwhelmed with too much to do or needing clarity. The interesting thing about coaching is they don't tell you what to do. So with my tennis coach, he tells me what I need to do to improve my swing. But with Stefan, he asks you questions and you figure it out yourself, which I find nice. It's almost therapeutic where he's asking me questions and then I come to the realization myself. Gives you that space and helps you find the clarity. The first session is free and 10% off all packages with No More Mondays. Head to talkstefan.com slash no more Mondays or hit the link in the show notes to try it out. But that's the sponsor slot over. Brett, you fancy coaching now? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's something that I, I mean, I, I desperately need. I, I, I don't reach out often enough to, to outside sources. I've, I've isolated myself over the past few years and there's some, some negative consequences of that. Brett, give Stefan a go. He does a free session. He's a lovely I, chap. I, I would love to. Anytime I engage with, with people outside, it's extremely enlightening because like I said, I don't any sort of outside influence really other than the communities that I'm in. And those are sort of short bits of conversations. But yeah, just getting outside perspective it would be, I think it would be amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I convince you to buy a microphone? Ooh, I've been looking at one. Um, is my microphone terrible? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not terrible. Yeah, I should. As many calls as I'm on, like for design to like demo calls, I need like a better camera, better microphone. Get this little bad boy. Just shoot me a link. I'll buy it. And we are back 48 hours later. Brett has gone and bought the microphone. Brett, thank you so much for doing that and sounding crispy now. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Talk to us a little bit about the background before you just started Design Joy. What were you doing? What was your job? And was it just a side project at that point? I was one of those classic kind of entrepreneurs who were stuck in the hamster wheel of corporate work, as I call it. I never stayed in any place too long. I, I dropped out of college, took a job, kept it for a couple of years, just kind of moved around from, you know, starting my own thing, building this, building the, joining this agency, just doing just kind of all kinds of work and never really found my footing. And then back in 2017, I was in a position that was, I knew eventually was going to be eliminated. The company was going under. And so I thought, what better time than now to start something? While I still did have an income, granted it wouldn't be there for long, but it was a really good opportunity for me to be able to comfortably go out and do something myself. And yeah, I threw Design Joy up in in just a couple of days. Uh, And it definitely started out with the mindset of it being a side project. It was never intended to to be what it is today. So what was uh, your MRR when you left the job? If I remember correctly, it was somewhere in the 75 to 80, 80K MRR range. <laughs> that's absurd. That's amazing. So <laughs> I, I was expecting like, I don't know, 10K, 50K, no, 80K. No, I wouldn't have dreamed to do it back then. <laughs> Why wouldn't you have? Because that, that's like surely got to cover all your all your expenses. It, I mean, it was covering and, and that's, that's one of the most obvious, I guess, obvious questions that probably no one else would have stuck around as long as I had. Uh, it was a combination of things for me. I would say half, uh, just being a little unsure of going off on my own and foregoing the guaranteed income that I had. Yeah, and the other the other part of that was the job that I had. It was it was a corporate UX UI job, and fortunately for me, it, it really didn't consume that much of my time. I make a joke that 
all the work that I did, I did during my meetings that I had, the Zoom calls that we'd have, I would get all my work done within those hour or two, you know, two hour calls. And so outside of that, it, it was there, but it, it really wasn't that time consuming for me. And it was a good, you know, chunk of change on the side. So I, I kept it until I absolutely just couldn't handle it anymore. It was, my work was conflicting with meetings and, and co- conflicting with my focus and ability and really passion to get things done that, that needed to be done. So I thought now's the time to jump ship and go full-time for Design Joy. I think I'm just a risk-adverse person. I don't think there was a reason to be risk-adverse in this mm-hmm. case. I think that I'm a naturally risk-adverse person. Everything that I've ever built, I've done big things before, nothing quite as big as Design Joy, but every single thing that I've done, I've done it within my own means, never taken on funding, never you know, never spent much of my own money. The things that I've taken on have just been completely bootstrapped with zero risk involved. So I consider myself an entrepreneur, but I'm not the, the type of entrepreneur that will mm. risk everything in order to succeed. I would rather have something to comfortably fall back on. And that's just how I operate and how I, how I feel more comfortable taking on things like this. So not a good answer. And I envy people who are risk adverse because I feel like there's so many advantages to that. But I've been fortunate enough to be able to succeed without taking too many risks. I envy your MRR, Brett. We're sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum here. So like, I left yeah. my job when I was not even matching my previous salary. Dan made sure he was regularly exceeding his salary. And then you go <laughs> up to 75, 80K MRR. Dan, what, what was your risk appetite for leaving your full-time job? Yeah, I have three kids and expenses and certain like income that I needed to hit. So I waited nearly a year and a half from launching Cove and numerous other projects just to make sure that it was going to cover everything basically and obviously during that time as it ramped up I had two salaries at the end which was amazing so that kind of gave me an extra bit of buffer yeah I was also very patient and made sure that it was the right time I didn't want to jump into anything one thing you mentioned there that I don't think is often spoken about when people are thinking of quitting their jobs when they match their salary there's a certain amount of time there where you're used to having double that income so essentially two salaries yeah that's also that's quite yeah. a hard thing to do. I found that quite difficult, even though I was expecting it and I'd, mm. I'd got myself to that point. Yeah, and there's really no feeling like it too. It was something that I, I knew was coming for several years. And the day that I decided to do it, it was just, it happened all of a sudden. It wasn't something that I was thinking about for several weeks. It was just one day I woke up and I was like, I'm done. I, I feel like I've, I've made it. I'm done with this. And it was just the most amazing feeling in the world to be able to do that. It's something I had never done before. I never thought that I would have the courage to do. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool feeling too. Now, Brett, a lot of people are going to be in the back of their minds thinking, right, this guy is over 100K MRR. He's a one-man business. How the hell did he do it? How did he start out getting all these clients? Is he a genius marketer that's been pumping out marketing content has he got a sales team calling up people closing down leads take you back to the start of design joy and how you launched it and how you got off to such a strong start with i have no lead generation strategy at all i don't i've never done any paid advertising never done any cold email outreach anything like that the sort of the start of design joy was very instantaneous so it was a a classic product hunt launch I had built the site on a, a Saturday, launched it on Sunday, and then it was come Monday morning, I had clients. And ever since then, it was never really an issue to get clients. The interesting thing about Design Joy is that I'm not interested in getting more clients. My interest is in taking care of the ones that I already have. Your clients actually become your biggest advocates, which is how I've gotten to where I am today with Design Joy. 
Talk me through a couple of other ways you got leads in those early days and throughout mm. uh, time with Design Joy. So what I what I did with Design Joy was I, I did create this this beautiful landing page. I'm a designer, so I have the ability to do that. And if you don't have the ability to do that, invest in it uh, and follow this method. So what I did was I took the Design Joy landing page and I had submitted it to a few landing page inspiration sites. There's landbook.com, which is my favorite. Nice, very nice, which is another one. There's uh, lapa.ninja, which is a big one. And if you think about it from my perspective, these are business owners, founders, designers going to these websites to draw inspiration for their own site. Design Joy happened to be amongst the most popular, so it surfaced to the top. They, they liked the style of it. They looked at it. They saw that it was a design company. And so it was pretty obvious what happened from there. They saw what they wanted. They saw the means to get it. So that from day one until until today remains a, a, a pretty big revenue stream for me. And then communities is a big one. Because of my story and then sort of the notoriety around reaching 100K MRR as a one-person business, that whole story resonates within the indie maker community and has really shed light in as, as what's sort of possible as a one-man band, even a service industry, let alone you know a SaaS, right, that makes money in your sleep. Doing through services, I think it takes much more time. It's not easier, it just takes more time and people are interested in how I do it. So I think the notoriety around that has made Design Joy pretty well known. And then thirdly, I've gotten pretty involved in working with clients from Techstars, Y Combinator, mm. all these startup accelerators. Now, Dan, did you discover Brett when you, you posted that tweet or did you know about Design Joy before? And Dan, tell me about what unfolded from that point when you sent your tweet out. No, I've actually seen Design Joy over the years on Indie Hackers and the, the Scribbles pack that Brett was talking about. I've actually I actually use it on the Illo blog. Yeah, but the thing that triggered the tweet is the was the 90k MRR post on Indie Hackers that I just saw and thought that's crazy. Who does this as a one-person company? And also, yeah, just like the amount of work I actually couldn't wrap my head around how that worked. So I just thought I'd tweet about it. Yeah, and then the tweet took off. Uh, which we discussed a few episodes ago. Got in touch with Brett, had a little quick chat, and now he's had to stop taking on new clients for a bit because he's got so busy. Brett, what happened after the tweet Like from your side? It was pretty crazy. So I was already, I'd already reached uh, sort of a new milestone for myself in terms of the, the amount of work that I was taking on. I think at the time, prior to Dan's tweet, I was at 90K MRR. I had made a, a post out on any hacker sort of sharing that. I think Dan was the only one that picked it up. I remember I was sitting at my computer, someone messaged me through Intercom, had said that they had found me through Dan's tweet, they sent me a link to the tweet, I go there and I'm like, oh shoot, okay. Everything just really, it just exploded from there. It took me from 90K, I'm almost to 130K now. I credit <laughs> that, that tweet for doing that. I thought, whether you believe it or not, there is a limit to what I can do here. So I'm like, I got to put a notice up on the site, introduce a waiting list. And in the last, I think I want to say about week and a half, that waiting list has now exceeded 30 calls that I have booked starting <laughs> on Monday, March 1st. So I have no clue what I'm going to do, but it's it's just exploded things and it reignited and already like burning fire. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Dan had quite a bit of influence in that. I'm interested how you onboard new customers because you said there that you had people signing up, but you also have a book a call option. So what's the kind of ratio for people just signing up through Stripe and then all people that have a call? Like, how does that work? I'd say 90% of clients do book a call prior to signing up. I mean, it is at a minimum a $2,500 a, a month. So most people will book a call to ensure it's the right fit. It's a 20, It's a quick 20 minute call 
we just assess what you have. I, I determine if it's something that I want to take on or, or am, am incapable of taking on. And then if it is that they'll eventually sign up through the website, which is quicker than ordering a t-shirt. And then I invite him to Trello and they're in the system. There's no forms or contracts you have to fill out. It's a, it's really like pretty instantaneous from the moment you decide you want to, to, to start going. How do they pay? Is it just like a Stripe checkout? Do you invoice them? Uh, so I use Webflow for my site. I hook that up to member stack, which is, has also been a client and they handle everything subscription based, which their system connects to Stripe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dan, you, you, you were thinking of starting a productized service. We spoke about <laughs> this in the last episode. I'm guessing partly inspired by what Brett's been doing. Do you still feel like you want to do that after the last few conversations we've had? So I have been thinking about it a lot. So it would basically be an extension of Gloat, which is the thing I'm shutting down. Just a better version of that. And obviously seeing Brett's stuff and just like mulling it over, maybe there is space for kind of an on-demand ghost developer. I must. There must be hundreds or thousands of ghost sites out there who need maintenance or ongoing kind of help. I think there's legs in it. It's just, do I want to do that? And then, yeah, be working for people again because I've just <laughs> broken away from that <laughs> lifestyle. So yeah, it's interesting to talk to Brett and hearing him talk about it because he makes it sound easy. I know it's not oh, always like that. No, it's not all <laughs> rainbows and butterflies. I may have great MRR, but that doesn't mean the back end isn't a mess. Like I was, t- we were talking earlier about my effort to create other things that where I could be more like Dan and make money in my sleep. Not have to trade time for money because what I'm doing right now is not necessarily sustainable, I don't think, for the long term. So, Do you enjoy it, Brett? Uh, Or is there part of you that wishes you could just scale back and although the money's nice, you must have a ton of clients now. You must be working yourself silly with it. It's a trade-off having so much income and a one-man business. It's interesting because, Dan, I have a family as well. I have two kids, another one on the way, and I'm kind of split. I A part of me, I've always been just insanely driven, high endurance, can just keep going forever because I love what I do. On the other hand, that has very negative consequences when it comes to quality time with your family, spending good time with your kids. And I have, I've made some progress on that over the years, right? Like I used to work straight through the week, Saturday and Sunday were just as productive of days as Monday and Tuesday were. I don't really work on, on weekends now, but I can definitely afford to cut back on hours during the week to do some of that. So it, it's it's a constant battle for me between constraining myself and, and like and stifling this, this sort of drive in me in order to make time for things that are most definitely more important. Right, I've got a few options for you because from the conversations we've had, it seems like you're just overworking yourself. You want mm. the MRI, you want the you want that buffer in your bank account for your family, but it's a lot of work. Why haven't you hired anyone up until this point? Have you thought about increasing or even doubling your prices? Or what about just simply scaling back your clients, maybe dropping half of them to get to 60K and sustaining yourself on that. To answer the first question, why I'm not hired, the, the stress of hiring employees and, and managing people is greater than that of which I'm taking on today by handling all the work myself. I know that at any point in time, had I deci- if I decide to do so, I can scale back. But as soon as I start hiring employees, I'm going in a direction that I, I was never intended to go as far as pricing goes, at a certain point, if you compare DesignJoy to others in the subscription space, it, it's probably the most expensive. And then I'm comfortable with the output that I provide at, at the, the price that, I've, that I offer it at. 
and to exceed it much more would increase that threshold of what I'm what I need to provide to it to a point where I, I don't want to take that on at the scale that I have right mm-hmm. now have you thought about just scaling back clients to half like 60k MRR would be <laughs> a very healthy one person business <laughs> oh yeah it'd be no it'd be amazing I've gone through peaks and valleys through how many hours I work for the first three years my MRR was under 10k I, I didn't work that much on the side even having a full-time job i probably didn't work a full 40 hours a week and then back in march when covid when covid came about that's when things really took off and my workload was increasing steadily and i I kept a full-time job until last october so for three or four years I, i did both and i it was a very unhealthy amount of work i would go from the computer straight into bed try to go to sleep I wouldn't be able to sleep, so I'd scroll on my phone, stay up later, and just mindlessly do nothing. And what's important to note is that I didn't start off running Design Joy capable of doing what I'm doing today. It was really only through being put in the fire and being forged in that that I was really able to eventually take on as much as I have. And as my efficiencies have increased, my work hours have decreased, even though my MRR and number of clients have gone up. So today I work about, I would say on average, it's been more since Dan's tweet, so thank you, Dan. But it's probably around like 10 or 11 hours a day now. It was probably, honestly, around eight before that. Why, why don't you half your clients? I'm probably one of the more insecure design, not insecure designers, insecure entrepreneurs out there. And it's funny because the amount of money that I make does not affect that at all. It's ingrained in me. It's something that I'm working on internally to change. I feel like in in my regard, the further I I am away from zero, the better off I am. And so it's something that my wife and I talk a lot about scaling back to, to whatever degree. The thought of scaling back to five or six clients and still making a good income is something that is attractive to me. Getting there is a whole other sort of battle internally for myself. I think it's my future. I think it's the only way to, to do this long term. But I just haven't grown up the courage to do it yet. And Brett, you said you wanted to do more of what Dan does in terms of making money while you sleep. Very hard to do with a one-person productized Mm -hmm. design service. And Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you don't have too much time either to think about building those things or to actually build those things. So like even stuff like Scribbles, right? It's only $4. You can increase that price, start marketing it a bit more, make some more money off little products like this, and that's going to be your first taste. You can make a course showing people how to design and all of this is going to be income that you can get uh, while you're building up your audience. But I don't know how possible that would be for you while you're still working so hard with 120, 130K worth of clients a month. Yeah, I think that's the problem is that I can't do that with the amount of work that I have. I would have to make a change to scale back to to provide some headspace and some more time in the day to be able to do, I think, the things that are better in the long term whether it's courses, side, side projects, whatever. I think to a certain extent, I'll always be a designer. I, I'll always be like the person on the ground wanting to do the work versus managing the people doing the work. So I'll always have to have that sort of itch to, to do that. But yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about this lately of just how nice it would to make money but not have to do any of the work for you know, on a consistent <laughs> basis. Brett, what would, you, what would your advice be to someone like me who, who has a productized service? It's a little bit different where it's mm-hmm. not like monthly, but it's podcasting where people can buy podcast edits and podcast episodes. I've not had 
much success with it. Dan would say you just need to post a link on Twitter a few times, James, or at least tell people that it exists. Yeah, no one knows about it. Have Dan make a post. It seems to work out great, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so what would your advice be to me, Brett, to help bring me to... I, I don't want to get to 120K. Just 10K would be fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think, and I don't know if this necessarily applies to podcasts, but maybe there's a nugget that you could take from this. So so with Design Joy, right? Like one of the reasons why it is successful, because it's accessible. If you compare it to, maybe it is the same. If you're comparing it to going to search for a podcast editor, if you're you're comparing it to go search for an agency or or a freelance designer, people hate that process. It's a painstakingly difficult process to find someone good, affordable, reliable, actually to onboard them, source their portfolio. All these things are such a pain in the butt to do and people hate doing it. And so I've taken the exact opposite approach to that. I've cut out all of the roadblocks, all of the hurdles to get started. And like I mentioned earlier, created something that is takes less time than buying a t-shirt online to get going. I could throw contracts in there. I could throw in a form that you fill out that tells me about your brand and like tells me what your needs are. Like I could throw all these things out there that are very traditional that just that just slows down the process to get started. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't know if there's any overlap to that with podcasting, but that is the bread and butter of of what has made Design Joy what it is. All right, Brett. So <laughs> when I tweeted out about Design Joy, yeah, early February, I guess, you had 140 followers and you weren't on Twitter. I couldn't see any tweets in your timeline. And I wasn't sure that you'd actually see the tweet that when I tw when I posted it. I did not, no. <laughs> but now you're at like 4,700 followers and you've, yeah, you've made some like really interesting posts and had really great engagement. So how have you done that? And what was your game plan with Twitter? I, to clarify, yeah, I, I had a Twitter, I had a handle, no tweets on it. Never was interested in Twitter ever in, in my history of being on the internet. And now that I'm seeing it, I'm like, man, I've missed out for such a long time. But yeah, so going back to that intercom message that I received, they, they linked me to the tweet. I had saw that you mentioned me. I went to my Twitter, saw that I was actually getting followers. I think I at the time, at the start of it, I had 140. And then after a few short moments, I feel like it doubled and it just kept going. And Dan provided me the opportunity and gave me a really big jump start on that. And I, I started capitalizing on it, sharing behind the scene looks at how I run this thing since it seemed like people were interested in it. And then I've just kind of been doing that ever since. And still trying to figure it out, still very new to the platform and figuring out what people like to see, what people are tired of seeing. But yeah, I'm still feeling the waters out a little bit with Twitter. It's been impressive. Brett, mate, thank you so much for joining us, being our first episode on No Mum Mondays. I think you've been a fantastic guest. It's been great to listen to your story and it's actually been different to what I expected because I thought it was going to be all sunshine and rainbows with this massive business. But there's also some <laughs> challenges you've had along the way. So thank you for coming on, mate. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Well, what a lovely chat Brett was. I really enjoyed that conversation. But Dan, let's round off the episode with our tweets of the week. Do you want to go first? Okay. So I chose a tweet by Justin Welsh, who's grown loads on Twitter mm. recently. Yeah, tweets about business and stuff. And his, the tweet I picked is about courses, because we were talking about courses last time. Maybe doing a course. James has a course about podcasting. This one was eight-step system to more online course sales. I thought it was just like, interesting to see him who make, he makes like hundreds of thousands from his courses just break his process down into eight steps that anyone could then follow to make their own course 
So I thought that was worth sharing because yeah, we talked about it and I'm sure there's other people out there also thinking about making their own courses. This is a really interesting thread because I followed Justin for a while and uh, he tweets really good, interesting stuff. But where I've got my course, I'm an advocate of people creating courses because it's been almost life-changing for me having that and making money in my sleep. It's the only thing that's done that and I don't have to worry about doing any more work. But I've been trying to think of different ways I can sell it and grow it. And I think this thread is going to really help me improve the course and also sell more of it my tweet I, I, I have two i was what one should i do okay i'll do this one dicky bush the over the last three years he's read 100 books on writing truth is 90 percent of them are a waste of time so if you're looking to up your writing game let me point you in the right direction now i've i really want to become a better writer i think writing is like such a fundamental part of our everyday lives not just for business but for life being able to communicate in writing uh, and I enjoy reading, but I also find there are a lot of books I read that are just filling up pages with useless stuff. So someone like Dickie to say he's read all these books and here are the nine best ones. I'm very much likely to go and read those nine. Uh, that was my tweet for the week. All right, then, dude. Awesome. What What do you think of Brett's interview? Happy with it? Yeah, that was really cool talking to him and like hearing more of how he thinks through things, I guess, like more than just the numbers and everyone figuring out if it's real or not agree entirely all right man see you next week yep all right see ya thank you for listening to this episode of no one mondays with james mckinvan dan rowden and our special guest brett williams from design joy you can join the conversation on twitter at no more mondays fm or hit the link in the show notes you'll also find a list of talking points in these show notes along with some details of today's sponsor talk to stefan see you next monday